Welcome to the Expert Ownership Podcast. Listen, today we're talking to Ken Harrison. He's the new chairman of the board at Promise Keepers. He's actually resurrecting this incredible ministry to millions of men across the country. And you know who they tapped on the shoulder? They tapped an entrepreneur because Ken built a national and international commercial real estate firm that he actually sold to Colliers International. And it was a massive transaction. He's going to talk about that in today's episode. He's also the CEO of the Waterstone Foundation. This foundation gives away $1 million a week. That'll pay a bill. And he's actually a, a, a best-selling author, The Rise of the Servant Kings, What the Bible Says About Being a Man. And he's also a former police officer in the LAPD. Yeah, he's got some history. Yeah, he's got police some pretty officer, awesome Police officer, business entrepreneur, now director of Promise Keepers. Yes, absolutely. Let's hear from Ken. Ken, it's an honor to have you on, man. You're a leader. You, uh, I mean, you've done so many things in business and in the nonprofit world and in the ministry. You've written books. You've sold a business. You're giving away millions of dollars through the Waterstone Foundation, your donor advised fund. It's amazing what you're doing. Jason and I just, with expert ownership, we want to talk very simple, practical business principles for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs that don't just want to make income, but they want to have an impact. And you've done that. And your history also you're an LAPD. You're an LA cop. And some of that stuff is all, I mean, it's, it's woven all the way through the fabric of your story. So jump right in. Tell us, man, about what was it like being an LA officer and how has that helped you in business and in leadership? I, I, I moved back to Oregon where I had grown up. My dad had been on the LAPD and had been shot in the Watts riots, ironically, in 1965, um, and then retired from complications from that and retired us up to Oregon. So I'd grown up mostly in Portland, Oregon, waiting till the day I turned 21 so I could follow in dad's footsteps. Right. So went back to Oregon and really didn't know what to do. Was a res- there was a recession going on in 1992 and really um, didn't, you know, just struggled and prayed and studied God's word and mm. just poured myself into him. Um, but all that being said, I was still about Ken's plan, not God's plan. Sure. And didn't want to wait on him. And, and I, and I often tell people, you know, God teaches us in the waiting. You know, it says in, in mm-hmm. Psalms 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be patient and strong and wait on the Lord. And, and that's hard for an entrepreneur because we're activators, man. We're, we want in now. Type A, man. That's right. God, just tell me what the plan is and I'll take care of it. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. God's like, how about if I don't tell you the plan and you just pick up your cross daily and follow me? Well, so, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I floundered. And um, finally, I, I applied for a job with a police department up there, which the LAPD is like the Navy SEALs of police departments across the world. So it, once you've been there, any other department considered to be, especially a suburban Portland department compared to the LAPD, but I didn't know what else to do. And I knew God was saying, do not become a policeman again. Mm. When I let them know that I was applying for a job, they were thrilled. Wow. This is the best training in the world. The LAPD. So the chief of police was like, dude, you're, you're in, we just need to go through a few formalities. They brought me before a board of citizens just to interview. And, um, I was what, 25 years old. And, uh, they said, um, Officer Harrison, how many felony arrests did you make? And I said, uh, I don't know, about 40. And there were gasps. And, and one of the women in the room said, you know, there was a police officer from Longview before you who had been a police officer for 10 years. And um, 
Nice going covering a microphone with that sneeze, man. That was good. I like that. <laughs> good call. <laughs> Those are skills. That is skills. Because, you know, he, he made 10 felony arrests in 10 years. And you're saying that you made 40 felony arrests in only three years on the LAPD? And they said, no, I made 40 per month. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, you know, and I looked at their shocked faces and I go, it was Compton, South Central Los Angeles. What do you expect? After that, I got a letter saying, uh, no, thanks. We don't Whoa. need, we you, don't know, need you. you. And that's when I was fully broken. And that's when they came across James 1.5. If any of you mm. lacks wisdom, let him ask his father in heaven who gives generously. Mm. And when you ask, don't doubt but believe. And, um, I just fell on my knees in brokenness and said, Lord, I've got a, I've got a wife to support. We're going to have kids. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Mm. And that's when God blessed me with wisdom and wow. business sense. And suddenly I got a job for a thousand bucks a month as a commercial real estate appraiser trainee. Nice. Yes. And you were 25 at the time. Yeah. 25 or 26. Okay. Something like that. And, um, and then it just took off. And then all of a sudden, I just seemed to get it. And I remember somebody who was well-known in the industry saying, I've never seen anybody with a nose for value like you have. And wow. just built a huge company. And it, all of us from the Lord. It really was unbelievable. So you were you were a, an appraiser trainee. And then you were just cranking out appraisals for your boss. And, and then you ended up, I guess, getting your appraisal, appraiser's license. Is that is that how it works? So take us through the journey of what you did to, to build your business. You and then we, I want I want the details on yeah. the sale of the business and tips and tricks. What did what you do right? What did you do wrong? I would like your bank account uh, information. Yeah, we'll get that at the end. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. What I figured out was pretty basic. You know, wisdom is always very simple. It's just, it's just being able, so much of wisdom is being able to throw off all the junk that inhibits mm. us, our preconceived notions, our prejudices, and seeing truth for what it is. You know, I, I'm good. critical of the church. So many pastors today spend most of their time trying to explain why the Bible doesn't say what it clearly says. <laughs> That's true. Because uh, they're trying to make it say something that it doesn't mean. I, I like your your love for Scripture. You're yeah. sitting there pulling out Scripture. And, and it's interesting how your business journey involves your thirst for Scripture. You're reading Scripture, asking for wisdom, and God gave it to you. And then you join this company, and you're a, a trainee. Take us back. Now you're a trainee. When did you start realizing, wait, I'm, I'm a little bit of an entrepreneur. Like I might, I might try to start my own thing. Uh, right away. And, you know, to answer your question, I guess you guys answered it for me. What did I learn on the LAPD for business? I learned that truth is black and white mm-hmm. and everybody has their own journey. Everybody has their own thing and we need to empathize with everybody. But ultimately, truth is black and white. You know, right. <laughs> if you jump off the building that you're in, you're going to fall down and go boom. And it doesn't really matter what your truth is. That's right. And scripture tells us what truth is and everything needs to come through that. And all of our perceptions it begin and end with what God's word says. Mm-hmm. And so it gave me a real clear vision of truth. Everything needs to come down to that. And if you tell me that you believe something that contradictory to the Bible, then you're simply wrong. Mm, wow. And we, once we go through that, now we can have a conversation about our experiences and all the race stuff going on today. And so, yeah, I'm an appraiser trainee. And what I learned was um, suddenly I was broken free because on the LAPD and on every police department across America that tell you that that 10 percent of the cops do 90 percent of the police work. Mm. Uh, it, it's a good understanding of socialism when everyone gets paid the same amount of money, no matter what they do or how well they did it. You know, the 10 percent that are super motivated. Yeah. Are going to do Just, what they do because they can't help themselves. Yeah. But the 90% going, man, I'm going to get the same ch- paycheck every yeah. other Wednesday. That's so right. why try harder? Social loafing, man. That's what happens. When I was in business, all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, you mean I get paid more if I work harder? 
So I just went ballistic. It was amazing. I had so much fun. And uh, I remember when I went in, people grabbed me and told me how much an appraiser could do per month. And I did 300% of that within my first year. I love that. It just blown everybody away because I was getting paid on commission. And then by 1999, um, my daughter accelerated what we did. I was a partner. I, I was not yet a partner, but in 99, I became a partner at a firm because my daughter came down with deadly asthma. And uh, we were living in Portland and the doctor said to us, you know, you happen to live in the worst place in America for asthma. And so my wife and I said, we're moving to San Diego, which was the best place. And um, so the part, the firm didn't want to lose me. So they made me a partner. And then um, by 2005, my office in San Diego had taken over and we were 40, 40% of the profit of the entire company was just in my office. Oh my goodness. So, um, and where that came from was that that I, I basically understood something very clear. All business is the same thing. No matter what business you're in, it's solving a problem and making money doing it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's where, what you guys did, right? Very you simple. had a problem. You had banks that had taken back homes and yep. you said, how can we solve your problem? And by the way, here's how much money we require to solve your problem. Mm-hmm. And you, you looked at three houses within two hours, Boom. got back to the bank. They're blown away. Done. My story is very similar. And people will call and say, well, I need a commercial appraisal. And a commercial appraisal costs like five or $6,000. Yeah. And they would say, well, we need a, a, an appraisal in Miami because we really like your business, but you're in San Diego. Oh, great. Charge $6,000. Everybody else say, you crazy? We're not going to Miami. Boom. I'm in Miami. What do you need? I love that. <laughs> and I found that if I hired guys right out of college with English degrees, they already had the writing skills. These, these reports are like hundred pages long. Yeah, yeah. They already had the writing skills. So I didn't have to teach them. All the other appraisers came from finance and these guys would come out and they couldn't write. Yeah. I hired guys who could write and I taught them the math. It was a lot easier. Yeah. And then they didn't have any preconceived notions of limitations. And so all of the appraisers in San Diego were doing vastly larger numbers than everywhere else in the firm because no one had explained to them what they couldn't do. Mm. And so I would bring them in and I would give them these astronomical numbers and say, you have one year to hit the numbers. And if you don't hit them, you're fired. There you go. <laughs> it's black and white, it's right? Kind of boss. That's, it, that's not black and white. Yeah. And then people say, we're a family. I go, we're not a family. Families look at the fire each other, but yeah. I will fire you. We'll, 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 we'll have a great relationship and we'll be very warm. And then I would do crazy things. I would give guys, if you hit a certain level, I'll lease you a car. So you have guys that would come from middle-class backgrounds, went to a state school come in and two years later they would be driving a fifty thousand dollar car that we leased for them and wow. every year if you hit a certain level we would go on a trip we'd go on a cruise we'd go to hawaii so guys were all killing each other because they wanted to be the one that yeah you didn't want to be the guy that didn't get to go to hawaii with everybody mm-hmm. and so we just had this awesome time we had so much fun together and we just blew away the numbers of everybody else and what their expectations were because we just didn't we didn't know the word no what it yeah. came to clients that's you got right. a problem i'll solve it right Done. Now, I, remember did... a client, I remember one client came to us and wanted an appraisal of a factory outlet mall in Mississippi. And I said, it'd be $18,000. And he called me back and said, well, well, CBRE says I'll do it for $14,000. And I said, well, then use CBRE, but I want to use you. I said, well, then I'm $18,000. <laughs> <laughs> and he went with you, didn't he? You don't go into the Mercedes dealership and say, well, I can buy a Chevy for this much. You know, Mercedes goes, well, then go buy a Chevy, you know? That's and right. so, it was really, it really went phenomenally well. So what happened was CBRE, which was the biggest firm in the world, yep. came and tried to buy our company in 2005. And after they got done buying our company, they basically told all the partners, we don't want any of you. We just want Ken Harrison's office. Mm. And 
they offered me a humongous amount of money to just sell them and just walk away. Um, and, uh, and my partner said, well, there's a non-compete. And I remember the attorney looked at my partners and said, I wouldn't use that non-compete for toilet paper. Mm. Oh, wow. He wants to leave, he leaves. So we restructured the company and made me the CEO uh, so that I'd stick around with the idea that I would sell. Yeah. So 2006, which was incredible timing because the markets really started to turn in yeah. 2007. Oh, yeah, I remember. In 2006, we were able to negotiate a crazy deal with Colliers International. And all my partners were able to really cash in vastly more than they normally would have. Oh. And then I became the CEO of Colliers International's valuation group for the whole world. Oh. Well, actually, of all of the U.S. and then chairman of the world. It was kind of a weird structure. And that went really, really well. It was a lot of fun, um, So, which leads us to the next breaking point of Ken Harrison, if you guys want to hear it. Yeah, no, I yes. definitely want to hear that. And I, I just want to inject a couple of simple things, especially if my sons are listening to this. But really, the, the, what, what led you uh, from realizing the truth uh, on the L.A. Uh, police department that truth is black and white, there is right and wrong. It's very simple. It doesn't matter what you feel. There is right and wrong. To then now, you're in business, and it's hard work. You look for problem pools, not profit pools. You didn't go chase profit. You would chase problems. You wouldn't say, right. the answer is yes. You have a problem. I will meet your need. And that's how Jason and I built our company. And as a result of that, the profit started chasing you down. And, and, right. and, and then good old-fashioned competition. Competition, our dad taught us, is not, to, not meant to build up, or excuse me, not meant to tear down, but to build up, right? Uh, you're not, you know, the competitive spirit is not to rip someone's heart out. The competitive spirit is to raise the standard. And everybody else, all when that, when that tide comes in and raises, all the boats go up with it. And so what you do is you bring a new standard to the industry and then, of course, you got to cash in on that, which is awesome. I mean, I, I love that story. But, but your story's not even halfway done yet. We sold it. We closed. What happened was we, we went down the road with another firm, um, and that blew up. And then it, the, the colliers came along. And so we went to buy your firm. And I said, eh, I don't want to go through that whole long process again. You guys yep, know, sure. dude, it's brutal. Yep. I mean, ugh, all of the accountants and the attorneys and all this. I'm like... I said, they're like, we, we don't care about all that. We just want to buy you. I said, okay, you have one month. Wow. So literally they performed, they closed in a month, which is crazy. That is crazy. Um, but our books were all ready for them from the last deal. And, um, but we closed in, in the middle of November of 06. Now what happened? I had six weeks to tithe all this money. Mm, before the end of the year. And you, you know, you need, you need the tax break in that year because you have this huge tax bill that's <laughs> going to be coming in and, I didn't understand my donor advised funds then, which is part of what I run now with Waterstone. Yeah. Whereas you can take that money and put it into a donor advised fund and get the tax break when you need it. But now it's sitting yeah. there and you can give it away as yeah, you, you can, see fit over the next few years. And I had never heard of yeah. one. So now I'm running this global entity and I've gone from running a company with a few hundred employees. I think we were at 50 or 60 million in revenue at the time to running this thing. Really one of the top executives of a two and a half billion dollar company. Wow in 63 countries. Um, huge lesson there in, um, I realized at that point that bad guys didn't just wear do rags and baggy right. jeans. A lot of them wear suits and ties mm. and, um, they're just as ruthless. They just have a better education. Wow. Um, really, I think I was a little taken aback by the immorality of, of people, which you'd think from my background, I wouldn't have been, but I really wasn't prepared for, um, the greed 
of people, the depravity of human nature. But in 2008, I used to get up at that time. You guys know I live in Colorado now, but at the time I lived in San Diego near the beach. And I used to get up every morning at sun before sunrise and go surfing. And, and I'm really a terrible surfer. So it meant it was really good exercise, you know? That's right. So after an hour, I was exhausted. You know, these old guys would be out there going by me all they'd surf all morning. After an hour, I'd be exhausted. And I'd go back and I'd sit on this bench at Moonlight Beach in Encinitas and just read my Bible and and pray. And God started convicting me that I'd become pretty arrogant. Mm. And it was like time for breaking number two. And I, I just, I prayed, Lord, um, I need humility. And I just was just broken before him. Now, what I meant was give me humility magically. Like you gave me wisdom back. In- That's right. But this time God was like, he, we teach humility can by breaking and by pain, <laughs> not by magic. Or humiliating you. Yeah. And uh, seeing what you're made of. And so when I had sold the company, we were, you know, the, well, large company and 50, 60 million bucks, but we did cash accrual the way it was done. Yeah. Yeah. When we sold into a public company in Sarbanes Oxley, it was gap accounting. And, you know, you guys know the difference. Extremely complicated. Well, my accounting team didn't know how to do gap accounting, but didn't tell me. Oh. So essentially, I had been running around opening offices and expanding and, and keeping a close line financials. And I'm not a detail guy. You know, most entrepreneurs are not. You right. account, you depend on your people to do that. That's right. So I was signing off on financials the whole time. Well, well, they had been hiding debt and information, partly through incompetence, partly through not wanting to disappoint me. And so I get a phone call from the company that had bought us, Collier's the holding company, a bunch of stuff. But they basically call and say, you know, you're, you're massively in debt. I'm like, what are you talking about? We're not in debt. I just had this conversation last week. We we're completely debt free. And they're like, oh, well, we're very sorry. And so they hang up. A week later, they call and go, you're in debt. And we know what we're talking about. And you're an idiot for not knowing it. Mm. So this kicks off an audit by them. And we find out that there's all these places they've been stuffing money and trying to hide their own incompetence. And you got to understand that when I sold the company, I kept 10% for myself and I opened up a portion of the company and sold it to our employees. So they had bought stock based on the valuation of the sale. Right. And I had all these employees come to me and say, literally, can I, I cashed in all of our 401k and put it all into, to our company. Mm. I had one employee say that I took a second on our house and all of our equity and bought all the stock I could. Wow. When we figured out what our debt was worth, um, it was a private valuation. Their stock was all worthless. Oh, you're kidding. And uh, you can imagine um, for me now, none of them knew that the only one that knew that was me and our worthless accounting team whom, you know, we let them all go. Right. Had to hire a new accounting team. And so there was a brokenness. And then right. What happened in summer of 2008? Oh gosh. So now business is declining. We have debt. We have, I have a bunch of employees who are eventually going to start figuring out they've put their life savings into worthless stock Mm. and I'm accountable for it all because I signed off on those financials. You know, I didn't read I looked at, you know, what's the profit, what's the, you know, revenue. Um, now around that time we used to, um, we were huge in, in Australia. So every, every twice a year, I would go down to Australia and advise all these REITs and banks on their real estate holdings in the U S just one caveat backing us all the way back up to 19 or to 2004. This is now 2008. Um, I had given a lady a ride. This lady had called me up and said, uh, that she was taking a class in Los Angeles, a continuing education class and seeing that I was in that class. 
she wanted to stay with her daughter in Oceanside and I was in Encinitas. Could I pick her up and drive her two hours to the class and back every day for a week as a favor? Cause she was too scared to drive into LA. I didn't want to drive some lady, you know, it was a lot older every day, but you know, what are you going to do? Right. As a Christian. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So I did give her a ride for a week instead of listening to Metallica all the way up and back every day. I had to listen to this lady talk about sewing machines and <laughs> didn't think about it any, anymore. So back up to this crisis we're in, it's worthless stock, bond market crashed, uh, just insanity. And I went to Australia in October of that year and people were suicidal. And I remember people having, one guy had a REIT that was $38 per share a few weeks earlier and that was 28 cents a share. Oh people my God. Life savings in this REIT. It's over, yeah. And just going through it with all these people and, and I'm going through the same thing personally, but they don't know that. Yeah. I fly back to land in LAX. And when I land in LAX in 2008, it was a little harder to get international calls. So I didn't have those. I want to concentrate on all these meetings. My phone's blowing up my voicemail and over and over, it's like 30 messages from the FDIC and the FDIC is going, you know, Mr. Harrison, we need desperately to get a hold of you. I'm like, what do they want? So I called them back. Oh my gosh, thank you for calling us. We've had this contract out, but we've been told we can't release the contract until we hear from you. I'm like, why? Well, we don't know, but it's coming from high up. We need a contract from you to, to release this. I'm like, okay, send me the instructions. So they send the instructions. I mobilize a team. After spending the whole week in Australia, they spend the weekend writing a 100-page RFP for a contract that we don't really understand. Wow. Send it off to them. And on Monday morning, I get this phone call. And it's this old lady. Hello, Ken. Do you remember my... <laughs> oh, boy. No, ma'am, I, I don't. You know. And, well, you were so nice. You gave me a ride back all them years ago. It was this lady I'd given a ride to. She goes, do you remember what I did for a living? No. Well, I work for this little entity called the FDIC. Oh. And uh, she says, we're about to close about 3,000 banks because of the shakeout of what's going on. And you guys will appreciate this. We need somebody to liquidate all of the real estate for every bad loan for every bank we close. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. You can imagine the amount of money that that is. Oh, my gosh. I said, uh, Okay. Uh, she says, so that was the contract you put together. And the board meets today at two o'clock in Dallas to decide who gets the contract. And uh, so I'll let, I'll call you right after the board meeting and let you know if you got it. And I said, well, um, ma'am, she said it, the, the pretty much is up to the chairman, whatever the chairman says is the way it's going to be. And I said, well, ma'am, can you give me the name of the chairman so I can call him and see what I can do to get it? She says, well, can you're talking to the chairman. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I get a call at uh, 1230 Pacific time says, well, congratulations. You just got the contract. Oh my goodness. We made so much money off that contract that within a year, all the debt was paid within two years, all of our employee, his stock had gone up so much and so violently that the holding company had to come in and forcibly call all the stock because it was getting out of control and our employees got rich off the deal. Oh man. And all I did was give a lady a ride. That's wow. So good. Faithful in the little, man. The grace of the Lord saying, let me show you that you don't know anything, Mr. Arrogant guy, who you started to think that this came from you. And when you're clear that you have no hope and it's not you, I will step in and bless amazingly. Once you reach that level of brokenness and humility, you stop thinking that you had anything to do with any of it. Wow. And that was a lesson that I needed to have my just butt kicked by the Lord. And then he blessed, he blessed us all amazingly. Wow. You know, our dad used to tell us, boys, only those horses willing to be broken by their master 
are fit to pull the king's chariot. The rest are left to pasture. Oh, Isn't that great? And that's what happens to us as, as Christian business leaders. So now you sell this business, they call the, the, the whole debt crisis happens, this incredible opportunity to get out of all of this and to bless hundreds of employees uh, with the stock. All of this happens, then what? I never tired. <laughs> <laughs> and you went to go hike and fish and hunt. It was 2012 and I was done, man. I, we'd been sued 12 different times by, you know, it was, a, it was a catastrophe of a time. If you guys remember, just oh, yeah. The, yeah, you do remember. It was rough. It was a brutal time and we won every lawsuit. Um, somewhere worse than others. I literally got sued by one employee who, for being a Christian. I mean, literally that was the complaint that, that the CEO is a Christian. And because he's so outspoken, his Christian beliefs, I couldn't do my job well. Oh, yeah. you know, nice. it's a long story, but we won that suit and in, in a really awesome way. Um, what do you say to, what do you say to the entrepreneur and the business owner out there who's being persecuted for his faith? Don't, what do you, what don't do you, ever relent. Hmm. There's something about, you know, it says in second Timothy that the one who perseveres with me will rule with me. Um, I can just tell you, I have never compromised God's word or my conviction in God's word. And in the face of utter hopelessness, he has never not come through and blessed amazingly. Um, but don't, don't rely. Make sure though that you're on God's side. Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah. Proverbs uh, twenty. I think it's twenty-seven seven. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. In other words, we we the way that we do our business is excellent. We're not fudging numbers. We're not cheating on our taxes. We're not shortchanging our employees or our contractor, or our vendors. In a matter of a gray area, we're leaning to the benefit of another person and not ourselves. When our ways are like this, then we make even our enemies, even those that accuse us, live at peace with us. In other words, deep in their hearts, they still know that their conscience testified, that's a good person. I really like that person. And you can, you can trust God at that point. Mm. A righteous man lends to a friend in need, but a wicked man borrows and doesn't pay back. I think that's a good uh, lesson for all the businessmen out there, too. Be generous. Yeah. Be generous with, be wise, though. Be generous with the people who deserve your generosity. That's right. That's a good point. That's a very when good I was on the, I was on the board of Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Southern California, and I had the COO of SCA come to me one day and say, you know, I've got this employee, and he um, he's awful. And FCA sets up Bible studies in schools yep. and uses athletics to do it. You guys know that well. But, mm -hmm. um, well, I don't know what to do. You know, every time I call him at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he's at home on the couch, and what should I do? I go, what do you mean you don't know what to do? Fire him. Mm. Oh, yeah. Ministries can't fire people. That would be ungodly. I go, yeah. listen to me. You pay him money. Every dime that you pay him was somebody's tithe money or offering money. That money could have gone to feed the starving in Africa or fight AIDS or fight for justice in America. Yeah. Instead, you are making the decision to give it to that person. He is stealing from God. And yeah. now that you know it, you're complicit in him stealing from God. How dare you not fire him? That's a great point. He fired him. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he didn't fire him. Oh, my goodness. Okay, and then I want to wrap this up because I don't want to take all your time, but then you got the tap on the shoulder. Resurrect Promise Keepers. Let's yeah, get let this me, going let again. Let me just give a, a really good lesson through this for everybody listening because I think this is really important. You know, I'm 45 years old. I'm going to – I got my daughter into Liberty University, the great Liberty, and was coaching my son's football teams and uh, and really thought, I'm going to ski and hike for the rest of my life. Just <laughs> – you know, yeah. I did my yeah. time and that's when God called me and I was in my knees praying in my closet. Not that I'm so holy that I always pray in my closet, but I just happened to be for some reason. God came to me in an incredibly vivid way. 
and he said, um, Ken, I did not put you through all I did and teach you all I did. So you could ski and hike for the rest of your life. Um, Those were his exact words. So I said, God, um, what do you want me to do? And he said, are you willing to be as ambitious for my kingdom as you were for your kingdom? Mm. And it came with this warning, be careful. It'll cost you your whole life. See, I was ready to serve God in my comfortable way and on my terms. And God came to me now and said, you want to be used by me? It's going to cost you everything. By the way, he said that in the Bible too, over and over again. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) He gave me the offer right straight there to my face. And uh, so never has God talked to me in such a direct way. And I have to be honest with you. My answer was, I don't know. Right. I said, Lord, I am so sick of being sued. I'm sick of firing people. I'm sick of being stabbed in the back, gossiped about. I'm sick of people was exactly what I said to him, which is really what you want to say to the God who gave his life for us. Right. Right. I'm sick of your people. Yeah. Um, but I did wrestle for two hours, three hours. And, and, and there was a sense of that's okay. You'll dismiss my full blessing. And I remember thinking someday, second Corinthians five, 10, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of the Lord to be judged for the deeds done in the body, whether good or worthless. Mm-hmm. Someday I'm going to stand before God's judgment seat. And he's going to say, Here's what you did. You had a nice last 50 years of your life. You got a lot of skiing in. Here's what you could have done. Mm-hmm. What, or you, you gave up your life and you, you continue to be, go through all those things because nobody likes to stab us in the back and gossip more than Christians about other Christians. Right. Right. And here's what you accomplished. Which way do you want to go? And so I said, Lord, whatever you want. I'm, I'm, I'm laying down my life. And he said, I'll tell you what I have for you when you're ready. Mm. What was it? Wait. Mm. There's more wait. <laughs> nice. And so when Promise Keepers finally came, I had no idea. And I um, was running Waterstone, this foundation here, and Promise Keepers was thrust into my lap. And I literally brought Promise Keepers in here to close it. I wanted nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And as I was going through the effort of closing it uh, with our attorneys here, um, that's when God came to me and said, remember that conversation we we're having in the closet? Mm-hmm. There you go. And it's been a wild ride for two and a half years. It's been a lot of fun. Gotten to meet some great guys like you guys. Mm. Um, really the blessing of meeting these mega church pastors, you know, guys like Jensen Franklin and Chris Hodges and uh, Tommy Barnett. I- I've met some guys that I've just been blown away by how humble and amazing they are. Yeah. Uh, you know, Chris Hodges is a church with 70,000 people in it. And when you talk to him, you would never know he wasn't the janitor. Uh, I love that. It's awesome. It's been a great experience and a great ride. God has blessed us so much. And this event that we have coming up on July 31st, I can't wait. We're going to announce the speakers at the beginning of July. And then I'm waiting for all the hate mail for all the people who tell me, you know, you shouldn't have that guy. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. um, And it's going to be an online event. Tell us a little bit about it and and how people can register. Promisekeepers.org. If you guys, you know, people who are listening to this, there's a lot of material on there. Uh, suggested reading material for you if you're struggling with pornography not that any christians are struggling with pornography <laughs> but would it be the only guy <laughs> right um you know josh mcdowell will tell you that 65 percent of christian men struggle with that uh, it recommends you know stephen arterburn's book who will be one of our speakers by the way mm, uh, that's awesome some some inside baseball for everybody um speaking about that if you're struggling with hey i want to know the holy spirit andrew murray um uh, the Indwelling Spirit, one of the greatest books I've ever read. So great materials, devotionals, great stuff that you need uh, as a Christian person, a man or a woman. And then you can register for the free event. It, it is a star-studded 
cast. Mm. Uh, should we announce the two other speakers that we know that are going to be part of this? The <laughs> if you want to. Brothers. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Now, this was going to be at Texas Stadium, right? And it will be next year, okay. at AT&T next year. And we literally didn't want to, We were the last ones to relent, and uh, the, the, we just could not get assurance from the governor's sure. office that they would let us meet. And totally we had it. people coming from massive countries all over the world. We had, like, massive people coming from Zambia and from crazy places, Norway. Uh, I'm like, man, we just cannot wait till the last minute. These poor people yeah, have got all their – so. We went virtual, but we're going to have a panel on race with the top people in the church talking right. about how do we respond to what's going on. Yes. Um, how would Christ respond to that? You know, it, it'll be in-depth conversation. Part of what we want to do at Promise Keepers is talk about the things that the church doesn't talk about. That's awesome. Steve Arterburn is going to talk about pornography. We're going to have a panel of women, women whom I really love and respect, very strong women who have been damaged by men. And they're going to talk for half an hour about this is what happens when you follow your flesh and you get into perversion. And mm. here's the real life faces of it. We're not going to back away from issues. Yeah, that's great. Pastors need guys like us to step up and say, here's the deal. That's right. So, it's a, so go on to promise keepers that are register. It's free and you can either live stream it. So you can sit at home in your robe and watch it on your computer. What we're encouraging guys to do is if you're going to live stream it, have a barbecue, invite a bunch of guys over. Yeah, watch this. There's going to be great musical talent. Uh, Danny Gokey, Michael W. Smith, oh, yeah. um, Phil Wickham. It's going to be phenomenal and some really cool stuff and that, that you'll see on there. Um, or you can simulcast. So we have over 300 churches so far have already signed up to show the simulcast in their church. And this is their kickoff to opening up their church. And so oh, that's great. churches are going to be meeting for the first time with this COVID thing on August 2nd. So on July 31st, the first time that church remates will be the men of God coming together to watch this event, which I think is so fitting. That is perfect. The, the men are going to be the ones that lead their way into the churches. And so, well, man, hearing your story and, and going through the LAPD, going through business and having some heartaches and some broken hearts, I, I'm just telling you, man, God has raised you up for this time, brother. You are a servant king. You know what? You should write a book on Rise of the Servant Kings. Oh, wait. You've, a good idea. you've already done that. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> All right, man. Ken, this is awesome. Do you have your own website or anything like that where our listeners can see more about you? Uh, no, there is a Rise of the Servant Kings website where you can download a free Bible study that the publisher wrote. So if you bought the book, uh, although, you know, spoiler, the, the publisher, Multnomah, is releasing the paperback on July 31st with the Bible study in the back of it. Good. So oh, that's great. And that is awesome. Uh, awesome. You are a fantastic guest, Ken. We're so honored to be connected with you and to just see how promise keepers is coming up from the grave and the man that God put at the helm. They're grabbing an entrepreneur yeah. who generated a lot of income. And now you're making a ton of impact. Awesome. You, know, you and I, you guys and I have become good friends and never in our conversations have I, I've been able to talk so much. I know. Usually it's David. Now you know it's David. Because we know that we are on a podcast. Now, as soon as we hit that uh, record button and it's over, it's I'm taking back over. No, that's how it goes, man. <laughs> All right, ah, Ken, you're great. I loved what he said about the truth being black and white. You know, sometimes yeah. we're in a culture today where feelings dictate everything. And facts, as Ben Shapiro says, don't care about your feelings.
The truth is just black and white. And then he took that from the LAPD into the business world and applied some pretty incredible principles. Yeah, but the thing that I loved was here's this entrepreneur just quoting scripture right and left. And I think it's that that heart that he had for the Lord all during the time he's building this massive company and selling it for millions and millions of dollars. And then, sure enough, God was just using that as as preparation for him to resurrect promise keepers. Yeah, and the, and the the pain that he went through whenever he realized he had all that debt, and then the stock that that his employees, his hundreds of employees, had bought into, was basically worthless. And that really grieved him. And that's pretty awesome because he made his money. He didn't have to care about those people, but he did. But that's what a servant king looks like. I'm so thankful we had him on our show. Hey, if you're looking to crack the code to have financial freedom, a thriving business, and a life of impact, the best resource we know is our expert ownership course, where we take you through a step-by-step process to help you become a CEOpreneur. You can earn more income and even have more impact, especially with those people that matter the most to you in your family and in your friendships. ExpertOwnership.com is your course. (laughs) 